and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here on the show. If you'd like to call in, our phone lines will be open all throughout our show today. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can send me a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a second here. Before we do, I just want to say I've had a lot of calls about hail here just today because there was a big hailstorm that moved through in western Minnesota. So I've had agronomists and farmers have been talking to about this. It really stinks because had this happened two weeks ago, not that big a deal. Happening today right at Tassel or Silking, and in soybeans, where we got some that are at R3, a fair amount at R2, um, it's just it's a little bit rougher. I, I would encourage you, if you ever have hail, just look up Iowa State University hail charts for either corn or soybeans. They have an ice machine that they've used for years, and they shoot ice at crops at different stages, and then they take it to yield. And this information does get passed on to the insurance companies, so they'll use this. It's awesome. So that way you can feel pretty confident that if you have a certain amount of leaf loss, node loss, whatever it is, that and you know, hey, my crop's at a certain stage, you see the percent loss that you had, then it will tell you, well, how's that going to impact your yield? Sometimes... Sure, you could have some stock damage that could make it worse than what the charts may say. So you got to weigh that in, but usually those charts are pretty accurate. That's what we found on our own farm over the years. But yeah, it's just, it's discouraging when you get hail, but just try to hang in there. We all, unfortunately, at some point, it seems like, have to go through that thing. We've had hail so many times on our farm over the years. Um, I'm, I'm of course praying for no hail this year, just like I'm sure everybody is, but, uh, but yeah, like I say, hang in there and look at those Iowa State University hail charts and that'll give you a little more information. Um, I, I would also say too, the biggest question that I've gotten has been fungicide. Will fungicide help and when should I spray the fungicide? All right, look, if your corn was at tassel, it's not going to put on any more leaves. It's not going to grow any taller or anything else. So you can spray right away. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously you got to wait a couple of days because chances are this came with a bunch of rain and you can't get out there right now, but in a couple of days you go spray. Here's the thing though. Unfortunately, you're probably going to end up with a bunch of bacterial disease that you can't do a whole lot about. If you want to throw some copper over the top of the leaves or something, you could try that as a bacteriocide. When you spray a fungicide, that kills fungus. Okay. You're, you're more likely to get fungal diseases after hail because the plants all opened up it's damaged it's injured uh, but there there's no guarantee that you're going to have fungal diseases enter in so what i'm trying to tell you here is it's not a guarantee that you will have yield gain by spraying a fungicide but what we do almost always see is the plants look a lot better with the fungicide and they are able to you're able to harvest easier the stock stays better longer into the growing season so those things are all good. And yeah, a lot of times you can gain yield, but like I say, it's not a guarantee. Okay, then on soybeans, with that one, I'd like to see a few new leaves come out because if you're in the northern U.S. and you have indeterminate soybeans, your beans were not done growing yet. They aren't as tall as they could get. They don't have as many leaves on as they could get. So I'd probably let just a few more leaves come out because remember with a fungicide, it's not going to move leaf to leaf. So 
if you spray a plant and then next week new leaves come out, they are unprotected. So that's probably what I would do in soybeans. I'd, I'd give it a little more time. I'd spray my corn first, then I'd spray my soybeans. Uh, we've been out spraying our corn with fungicide, just about to finish that up, and then we're going right into soybeans anyway. So whether we had hail or didn't, that would kind of be my plan too: spray the corn first, then go to the soybeans. Anyway, if you've got specific questions on hail, just let us know. Again, send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! First question comes from Luke in, in Minnesota. He says, uh, guys, I'm raising soybeans under irrigation for the first time. And I heard Brian mentioned on the radio show yesterday that he wouldn't make a single pass without fertigating something. I'm inclined to be of the same mindset. However, I can't seem to find any resources online laying out what or when I should fertigate. I agree. Nitrogen and potassium seem to make sense, along with possibly some micros. And I sent you some soil tests. Um by the way, I know I should have had my micros tested on my old tests, uh, which is why we put on some boron. Oh, and I and then he says, I did in 2020, which is why I've applied boron in 21 and 22. But unfortunately, I can't find those results at the moment. All right. So first of all, let me just say, when we were talking about this topic yesterday, he, I, I made the comment that if I had irrigation, I'd be, oh, I'd be running fertility through it every time. Now, I'm not saying much, but at least a little bit. It's not going to hurt anything if you are smart with what you're putting out. We don't want to put something out that we're already in excess of. So where I'm going with this is, okay, like in this example here, well, I don't know what got put on earlier this year. I don't have pre-sidress nitrate tests, so I, I don't have like tests from the last two weeks. So I don't know. You might have excess nitrogen. On a bunch of our fields right now, adding more nitrogen is not going to help at all. Our yield goal has been hurt just a little bit because of drought. But even if we were in, even if we had an irrigated situation, I would always want to find out what do I have in the soil for nitrogen? Is that enough? If it's not, then adding more is great. If you already have enough, why waste the money? Okay. But like on his test here, what I'm seeing is very low potassium. So 2.2% base saturation K up to 2.6. Uh, now, He's got uh, in the range of, let's call it, well, it's in the low 100s for parts per million. So it's low either way. This is medium textured soil, about 15, 12, 15 cation exchange capacity. So potassium should be put out there every single time for sure, especially in soybeans, especially late. A soybean crop from R3, so that's first pod, to R8 will take up 75% of its K. 75%. You need a ridiculous amount of potassium right now. And then other than that, focus on the leachables. Um, other leachables like nitrogen uh, or, or nitrate, we'd be talking sulfate and boron. So those are things to consider as well, again, at very low rates. Stay tuned. We're going to get to your phone calls right after this here on Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitec fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitec. <laughs> and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitec. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitec fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. 
the right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number's 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to get to the phone lines right now. Got our got our friend Tony Wendler calling in. He's with Farm Shop MFG down in Iowa. Tony, how are things going for you today? They are excellent today, Brian. Uh, getting all excited. About a couple of weeks, we're going to be over there in the fields of Baltic, South Dakota. That's exciting to meet all of our old friends. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Tony's talking about the Ag PhD Field Day that's coming up uh, two weeks from yesterday. So that'd be July 27th, Thursday, July 27th. Always the last Thursday in July. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, Tony, anything new and different you're going to be talking about? Or what's kind of the highlight for you that you think you'll be visiting with farmers about that day? You know, the... Uh, it's it's season for the green bin management, but one of the things that's been leading and coming out of the planting this spring, uh, our germinator closing wheel. Yep. Uh, we've had testing done that uh, we have uh, exceeded our uh, closest competitors on uh, emergence and even emergence. Uh, doing the uh, the flag counts or flagging, I think is what they refer to, flag counts. You'd be familiar with that, where you put a uh, a flag out there for each emergence, I think they do every six hours. And uh, we are doing fantastic there. The uh, Lots of uh, reports back on the dry conditions with the uh, the firm vein that we create and wicking moisture. Uh, you know, farmers, several testimonials, farmers telling me that they've heard me talking to you guys, didn't quite believe it until they saw it this spring. The uh, other thing is that... Uh, you know, precision uh, with their furrow force, I didn't ever think I was quite in the same league as them. I thought it's everybody else I'm dealing with. And uh, we have been in some comparisons, and there's two tests taking place this summer that are showing us to be their equal. And I think uh, when you look at uh, something that costs up to 2000 per row, and ours with complete assemblies is only 250 per row, I call us the victor. 
Seed to soil contact is unbelievably important. And you mentioned in dry conditions, we had a lot of that all throughout where a lot of corn is planted. And if you if you have dry weather, you, you brought up the fact that wicking moisture, it's really important. So where we farm, we're in, we're in a dry area. So this happens all the time. What we're trying to do is get the good seed to soil contact and we'll find that moisture will move through capillary action to and and into our seed and that's tremendous so without great seed to soil contact i mean it's just a killer in dry conditions isn't it yes oh yeah uh, i i still I, I, and i've referenced this once before the um, the uh guy down in oklahoma david in oklahoma who had uh, uh said that he had planted with uh with twisters and with germinators uh and went out on the uh Planted Mon- Saturday and Sunday, went out on Monday and dug, and uh, he said every row planted with a germinator, the seed was in moist soil, and every row planted with a twister was in dry dirt waiting for rain. Yeah, again, that, that seed to soil contact, it's unbelievably huge. Um, hey, Tony, um, we appreciate you calling in today. We're really looking forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks, and uh, hope things are going well for you this summer. Again, it's uh, Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, do you have something else? Uh, we're uh, we're in the, the grain bin management season, fan controls. And uh, one thing real quick, I was just talking, one of the things for people to get success, they need to level their bins. And when I uh, I hung up from a call uh, here a little bit ago, talking about that uh, system they're developing in Nebraska, battery operated to level a bin, and uh, they're telling me that they've got that they can perfectly level a 48 foot bin now, uh, whether nice. it's got a pile in it or it's been uh, uh, cored out and has a funnel um, hole in it. That uh, it's so. I'm thinking I need another product on my website or uh, at least the links to it to help people level bins to have the best success on moisture management. Yep, I agree with you. As somebody who's had to scoop a bunch of bins in his life, I can just tell you a simpler way would be very nice, especially in those great big bins. It's uh, it's an awful lot of work. Well, Tony, thanks a lot yep. for, for calling in today. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Brian. You Take bet. care. Bye-bye. All right, we got a question in from Ross, and he said he's looking for advice on when to run his newly installed drainage lift pump. Uh, His ground is tiled mostly for potatoes. Now, Ross, I'll just say I don't have firsthand experience, or sorry, not potatoes, pumpkins. I don't have firsthand experience growing pumpkins. Um, on, on our farm and certainly not on a big scale, uh, maybe just a pumpkin or two. But anyway, so I don't know exactly what the timing would be on having moisture at a certain level or not, or how deep those roots can get or anything like that. But here's basically the general rule. What we're after and what we're always thinking about is having tile in the field is all about water table management. And so like Ross's question here in his comments, it's, I'm not sure I'm going to turn this lift pump on. Uh, would it be only during and after heavy rain? No. Uh, and it is hard to know where the, the water level is at. And so how do you guys do it? Well, we're lucky because in one of our fields, we have a monitoring well. Uh, actually, U.S. Geological Survey put this in like 30, 40 years ago, something like that, but it's awesome. So every five minutes, I can see where the water table is. And it's just one of those things where you you could install something like that or something much more simple if you want, but 
it's all about water table management. That's all I care about. I do not care about how much rain we've had, when we've had it, anything else. What we're trying to accomplish here is making sure we keep enough air in that soil. That's why we have to keep the water table down so those roots can grow. So sorry I don't have like an exact thing for you on, on when to do it, but it's not just during or after heavy rain. you got to look at how deep or how shallow is that water table. We like keeping it down to three feet or more. That's our goal on our farm, but everybody thinks maybe something a little different, and it certainly does depend on the crop you're raising. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Got Zane calling in from Wisconsin. Hey, Zane, what's happening in your farm today? Well, not too much. I just finished up spraying some forage oats, uh, a little heavier broadleafs. I hit it with some 2,4-D this morning, and that's about it right now. It's kind of appreciating the last few rains we got, and that's about it, just kind of watching things grow. So you bring up oats. It's been a hot summer where where we're at. We're well above normal for heat units. Uh, small grains don't like that. How's it been in your area? Have you been hot? Um, I would say a little hotter than normal. But the big difference for us, we got humidity here where you guys don't have much of that. So I think that kind of oats. It, I know don't like heat, but I mind is actually forage oats. So sure. it's a little different, and it seems to do okay in the heat. Good. Yep, that's good. Um, so so any other problems you have with that? You, you mentioned spraying a herbicide, but, I, I mean, any well, challenge, big challenges with it? Um, not really. It was just was, I just didn't realize how, how, say, how fertile the soil was last year, <laughs> and I did left the yep. field just left to go. Just left to grow up. Whatever came up, came up, and I really didn't pay much attention to it. I because I drive truck over the road besides, mm-hmm. and the neighbor asked, "Hey, can I spread some manure on your land?" Because he had nothing close by. Go share. Go ahead. And I seen him out there spread manure, and he has like a 80, 100 horsepower tractor open station, and all I could see is the top of the man's head out there in the field. I didn't realize that eight foot <laughs> weeds out there. yep you know we used to uh, apply a lot of manure when i was a kid and i just remember and i mean we still do and i I just remember our dad always talking about the manure weeds and wherever we put manure we had lots more weeds partly due to fertility maybe we had some more weed seed in there i don't know what it was so anything else happening on your farm right now zane uh not too much no the area here we got a few timely rains which really helped out because uh end of june there were first part of july things were getting pretty dry but we got a couple inches of rain since then so good all the corn is all perked up pretty good uh uh winter wheat is about ready to come off another week or so they'll probably be starting on that and yep nice so all right well hey uh yeah. th- thanks a lot for calling in today appreciate it good luck on your farm over there and uh and be safe when you're driving over the road all right thank you you bet thanks zane it's Farmer Friday here on the show. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. 
To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what Mark did from out in Colorado. Hey, Mark, how are things on your farm today? Well, not too bad. Enjoying kind of a nice uh, sunny day, which has been a sharp contrast for us for some time. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of wish that we were in that same boat. I would like to have had a bunch of cloudy days because of rain. Uh, is it because of rain or is it smoke or, or how come you've had clouds lately? Well, we've had quite a bit of both of those things. We had quite a bit of the Canadian smoke come down and, and affect our farming area just northeast of Denver this spring. But we've been blessed with nearly 15 inches of rain since the 1st of May. And that's likely uh, double the rainfall that we've seen in the last four or five years combined. Wow. Yeah, uh, we're just the opposite. We're half normal rainfall. So, And this is like the third year in a row for it. But, you know, that's kind of the way it goes, just part of farming. Hey, Mark, I was going to tell you, I, I, I was just on your website. It's And it's for our listeners, it's arnishfarms.com. That's A-R-N-U-S-C-H, arnishfarms.com. Uh, that's a really nice website. 
Well, thank you. It's kind of the third iteration, and it's something new that we've kind of done on our farm here in the last, uh, oh, say, five or six years. But we specialize in doing a couple of things that's a little bit different for our community. We, we specialize in growing uh, seed wheat, seed barley, and then grains for the craft beer and spirits industry. But we've found that that tool does a great job of helping us advocate for our industry, uh, which was something I didn't think I'd ever have to do when I graduated from college, but it's certainly been rewarding for our farm. Well, you're right. There are a lot of us that grew up on the farm just figuring, well, everything is fine. I'm just going to go into farming or like for me to be an agronomist. But you talk about the advocating part. Um, it There's a big disconnect between people who aren't involved in agriculture and those of us who are. So I'm glad you're doing what, what you are doing. So talk to me about that just a little bit more. What are maybe the top one or two points that you're always trying to get across to non-farmers? Well, the first point is, is we try to dispel some of the misconceptions in agriculture. And what better way to do that through something that's non-controversial like alcohol? Uh, we, we tend to get a lot of pushback in this space yep. uh, with GMO technologies and, you know, farmers using Roundup and the, the scorched earth uh, approach that a lot of farmers and ranchers are accused of. But we flip that script and, and we, we talk about not necessarily growing corn or wheat, but growing beer and whiskey. And it starts that converse, conversation just like an icebreaker. And then the second thing is, is we're trying to control the narrative about building soil health. Um, as an agronomist and as somebody who's been in this for a long, long time, I resist those outside of agriculture that try to redefine who it is we, we are and how we should do certain things. And, and so our, our website and, and the ability to provide farm tours has really helped us uh, change the conversation, and, and that's a step in the right direction. What are the biggest challenges for you in raising the grain for the alcohol industry? Uh, there's been a number of challenges, and, and I think the first one is, is there always seems to be these moving goalposts of expectations for quality. And one of the mistakes I was making early in, in my farming career was I was just speaking to them in terms of bushels and test weights and moistures. And they want to talk about things that we're not used to measuring, but we are, are now measuring, and it's starch, uh, protein content, amino acids, amylase, uh, glu- gluten strands. <laughs> and so now that we're speaking their vernacular, we've been able to do some things in, in marketing and manipulation in the field to try to achieve those standards, and, and it's certainly working for us right now. Mark, I, I have a million questions for you based off your last single statement that you had there, but just give us one example of anything you may have changed in the field once you started speaking their language and knowing what they were after. So I, I guess the quickest and best answer I can give you is about uh, protein content in, in some of our barleys that we grow. And in, in eastern Colorado, we stress barleys hard. It, it's not by choice. It just sometimes happens within Mother Nature. But on our irrigated acres, we found that if we, if we cut off irrigation water uh, through a center pivot when, when our ambient air temperature rose above 80 degrees, that we, we put less stress on the crop. And so we, we typically only irrigate our barley and grain fill at night. Uh, we do it when the temperatures are lower. And then we, we time a uh, application of thiosulfate through the pivot right at flag leaf to try to keep that flag leaf as protected and as healthy as possible. And 
what we what we found out is that in in particular for starch and protein that has changed a lot of things in the malt house and and we make that a big part of our management strategy. Mark, that is fantastic stuff. Thanks a lot for calling in today. We appreciate it. Again, if you want to check out any of the work that Mark is doing and check out his website, it's Arnish Farms. That's A-R-N-U-S-C-H, arnishfarms.com. Mark, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, let's go next out to California. You've got Steve calling in. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. So what's happening in your operation right now? Uh, doing lots of harvesting right now. We're we're uh, full force in the watermelons, finished garlic, har- harvesting carrots, uh, cantaloupes. Finished our wheat last week, so pretty much uh, going pretty pretty heavy in harvesting right now. All right. I, I was looking at the list of crops that you raise. Um, my sister Janelle sent that over to me. If it, to me, as mainly a corn and soybean farmer, it looks like you're raising a million crops. I realize it's not a million <laughs> crops, but how how do you keep all that straight? Uh, it just uh, with a lot of help. I mean, a lot of people that that, that kind of help us keep everything directed and the right going in the right direction. And uh, we use uh, you know. A lot of good office staff and, and just kind of keep records on everything we do. But, you know, we also do permanent crops like citrus and pistachios as well. So it uh, it keeps us busy year-round. So a lot of farmers have, uh, I mean, almost like us, we've gotten much more into just one crop or maybe two crops. So why so many? Well, I mean, in, in, in California, we have such a, you know, diversity is kind of important and the rotation is important. Um, so, you know, we put a lot into the into the soil as far as, I mean, we, 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 we ask the soil to do a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. with with trying to beat it up with so many different crops. And we don't always work the ground as dry as we should, you know. I mean, we let things get a little bit wet and we got to work it up wet. Um, we do use wheat as our rotational crop to kind of give us a little bit of a breather. Uh, but it's just all based on, you know, diversity. I mean, we can grow it here, so why not? You know, we'll start processing tomato harvest here in about two weeks and, you know, and that and that crop, that crop takes a lot out of the soil, and and uh, we kind of give it all a breath with with wheat periodically, and we just kind of keep it keep the rotations going. But it's just just diversity. Just try to keep a keep a good diverse program. You know, if one crop is low one year, then we got a chance with the others to to bring it back up. With the markets the last couple of years, have you changed and gone to more acres of any one crop in particular? Um, we definitely have increased, you know, our melon production as far as the watermelons than, than we've had in the past. I mean, we've, we've, we've got a really good, good program and a good sales department on the, on the watermelons. Mm-hmm. Um, but not necessarily, I mean, we, we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, trying to go into more annual crops, maybe, so to speak, if we take out some citrus periodically, because our water, our water issues have been so difficult for the last few years. Yep. This year, I mean, being an exception of the rule, I mean, we've got a lot of water this year, so our citrus looks really good. But the last three or four years, we've been taking citrus out because of being a permanent crop. It's hard to hard to have enough water for that. Is there any crop that you're looking at raising, anything new you're thinking about doing in the next couple of years? No, I don't think so. Not, not anything right off the top of my head. Not, we're, there's nothing that we're really excited about. Carrots are new to us this year. Um, so there's a new crop that we've been doing, but uh, yeah. other than that, I don't, I don't really see anything down the, you know, in the near future. 
Well, <laughs> it looks to me like you got enough to keep track of already, uh, and we appreciate what you do out there because a lot of those things uh, I eat myself, so uh, it's great to see somebody raising all these different crops. Hey, Steve, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Really fun talking to you. All right, Brian. Take care. You bet. Thanks. All right, again, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here on the show. We're taking your phone calls all throughout today's program. 
Next on, we got Dan calling in from down in Kansas. Um, Dan, I understand it's been real dry, just looking at the drought monitor map from the last few years. Real dry in Kansas. Is it dry in your particular area? Uh, well, thankfully, we've received some rains. I wouldn't call them drought-busting rains, but uh, here in the month of July so far, we've had around four inches of rain. Uh, which has uh, been a, a blessing and a curse all in, all in the same note. Uh, why do you say the curse? Well, we did have a little bit of wheat in the area, and, uh, boy, uh, it's been challenging to get what, what little bit of wheat we did have out in the field, getting it, uh, getting it harvested. So uh, with the late rains, of course, and thin wheat brings on weeds, and so yep. there's still quite a bit of wheat standing in the field. Uh, of course, it's been abandoned. Uh, or uh, is going to have to wait and be sprayed, desiccated, and, and then harvested. So what will you go to next after the wheat harvest? Uh, so so most of our wheat acres this year, whether they were abandoned or whether they were harvested, uh, we'll wait till spring and we'll go to primarily sorghum uh, or some will go to corn. Sure. So do you do anything with cover crops then or, or, or what happens with that ground between now and next spring? Uh, between now and then is just uh, the challenge of keeping it clean. Yeah. Uh, no-till so that we have plenty of residue to plant uh, our spring crop into. Uh, in certain circumstances, there'll be some forage crops mainly sure. uh, that'll go in, into that. Uh, we've, of course, like you said, we've had the in pretty extreme drought area. Um, lots and lots of forages going in about everywhere uh, a person can, can find it in the rotation. So how has the sorghum crop been doing so far this year? Uh, so far, been been very good. We had uh, just a dabble of rain enough to get the crop out of the ground, uh, and of course, sorghum's tough, and yep. it kind of waited on these rains till the first year of July, and so it's thriving now. It's it's uh, growing by leaps and bounds. So, uh, for a lot of our listeners, they probably don't normally raise sorghum. What are maybe your top couple of things you would say that you found out on your farm that are keys to raising that good sorghum crop? Uh, weed control is definitely one of the biggest uh, challenges or can be one of the biggest challenges in, in raising sorghum. So, uh, you know, start clean and stay clean. Um, <laughs> our post-emergence options over the years have, have really increased, uh, you know, especially with the over-the-top grass control technology that we have now. Yeah. Uh, that really gives us uh, quite a few more tools in the toolbox. But, you know, as we all know, you know, weeds like Palmer amaranth can wreck any crop. And in sorghum, we have less options to deal with those uh, than we do in our other row crops. So, you know, get having having good residue on the ground, uh, uh, good residual herbicides um, are kind of the key, uh, in in my opinion, of raising sorghum. How about bugs? Do you deal with many bug issues? You know, we normally don't. Uh, here in the western part of Kansas, we've got a pretty dry. Uh, pretty dry climate so we don't have to deal with a whole lot of insects but uh, we have had sugarcane aphids in the area uh, before and that's something that's kind of treated on a, on a as needed basis for the most part insect control is, is limited to seed treatments for us sure yeah that's kind of why i asked is more guys i've had more questions about sugarcane aphids in the last couple of years so i was just curious and how about like grasshoppers in during the drought times do you ever get uh, a lot of grasshopper pressure then um, I don't think we've really ever seen that on that great of a scale. And I, as 
um, I'm glad we haven't seen any yep. waves of that coming because that's uh, that's very very problematic. Yeah. Yep. We've had a bunch of that in uh, in South Dakota here. So uh, yeah, I don't wish that upon anybody. Well, hey Dan, great talking to you, and uh, we'll hope you get the right amount of rain from now moving forward, so uh, things turn out good on your farm. But uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Always great to be on. All right, let's go next out to Illinois. Got Chris calling in. Let's give a little update on his farm. What's happening in your operation, Chris? So uh, yeah, we uh, we just got done with weed harvest ourselves. Um, we had uh, probably the best wheat wheat crop we've ever had there. Uh, uh, we did about we had about one thirty five on some of our farms, so that wow. was a, that was a pretty good feather in our cap there. Nice. Um, now we're just kind of hoping for a little more rain to kind of get the double crop beans, you know, really going and, uh, and moving, moving the straw and, and taking the, and getting the wheat moved. So on the on double crop beans. So for those of us uh, in in the in the that are a little further north than you, we don't have that ability to raise two crops in one year. Tell us about when you've done that in the past. What's made your double crop beans great, and what's been not so good? I mean, I assume you just have to have a whole bunch of rain, but but what else are you looking for? Honestly, it's it's just. It, it's the epitome of farming. It's you know, it's nothing but you know, hard hard work and a good dose of luck. Because you know, I mean, you can plant you can plant them every year, but you know, you gotta you gotta you're you're hoping hoping you don't get that frost there at the end of the year. Yeah. And we had we had a frost there la- uh, last year on on some of ours, but we still ended up with forty bushel beans, and and the test weight was light, but um, but you know, I think we're kind of right on the cusp of Illinois because we're we're right around Springfield there, and I think that's probably about you know kind of the cutoff point, maybe a little bit further of where you kind of want to roll those dice. But we've had we've had real good luck with it, and most of the time it's you know we've had fifty bushel beans. Nice. So, what maturity soybean will you raise, double crop? Uh, so pretty, pretty much most of the time it's three fives. Um, so I, I'd really, I'd really like to, if I, if I could, you know, cherry pick the weather, I'd really like to maybe try and put in some, you know, some 90 day corn at some, at some point one day yep. and see if I couldn't get that to go. Yeah. We had to do a little bit of work on our farm and, uh, uh, bury some stuff and we did this probably I don't know two weeks ago two three weeks ago and I told our guys yeah we had to make this strip out through our cornfield just go plant some corn again and we put in some 75 day corn <laughs> and uh, so we'll see I'm, I'm optimistic it's gonna make it but uh, but you never know we're, we're again quite a ways further north than you Chris anything else happening on your farm anything else you want to tell us um I I couldn't believe how I uh, I run a custom bailing business this and this year was the first year ever that our tonnage was way down and the only thing that we we kind of come up with and this is kind of kind of central wide was that um, it was that we were real cold early on and we didn't really and we didn't really get the tonnage 
you know, we're about half to a third of the tonnage of what we usually are, and that that one really surprised me this year. Uh, baling what? What what crop baling, are you baling? Uh, uh, just just basic, you know, pat, pasture mix on. Oh, okay. Um, you know, with um, hmm. and it, it just it it really surprises how you know you know we're not getting near the tonnage this year that we usually do. Interesting. And, that's, and that goes across not only what we do, but, you know, everything we do for our customers as well. Hmm. Yeah, because I know, like, here on, on our farm and through our region, we were cold until May 15th, and from May 15th on, it's been one of the hottest years ever. Uh, fortunately, we haven't had a lot of 100-degree days, or, well, we haven't had any 100-degree days yet, but it's just been above normal almost every single day. But, yeah, it was cold early through a lot of the country, so, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Hey, uh, Chris, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Nice talking to you, and good luck on your farm the rest of the year. Thank you. Good talking with you. All right, we got a little bit of time left here on Farmer Friday. Got a number of questions to get to in the Ag PhD mailbag, but if you'd like to call in, we do have a couple of open phone lines, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. So it was interesting talking to Mark a little bit earlier, and he said how it's kind of non-controversial when you're going to talk about uh, misconceptions, and then uh, you're, you're, you're talking about the alcohol industry and stuff. Uh, not as controversial as something like Roundup. But I got a Roundup statement that came in from Craig saying, please don't use Roundup. I want to get more into that right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trifold, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and TriVolt worked. See for yourself at TriVoltInAction.com. TriVolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Your ripper is likely leaving 40% of the subsoil undisturbed. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. Dig behind your ripper and you'll see compacted mounds of soil left between the shanks. Traditional points just can't fracture the complete soil profile. 360 bullet ripper points are berm busters. The bullet's wide 14 inch wing shatters the full soil profile for better water infiltration and root access to nutrients. Get the full story at 360yieldcenter.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm the Ag PhD field day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. 
Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. This is Ag PhD Radio, and it's Farmer Friday. We're getting back to your questions here in the Ag PhD mailbag. So Craig sent this one in. I'm just going to read it to you word for word. It says, please don't use Roundup. It is a weak version of Agent Orange and is deadly to all species, including humans. Now, I don't even blame Craig for sending this in. Um, unfortunately, it, because of social media today and it, news not being news anymore, it's a lot of fabrication people hear things and they start assuming that they're true. Well, Craig, let me just tell you, none of that's true. First of all, Roundup and Agent Orange are two completely different things. And let me just say this, Agent Orange by itself, if it was, um, let's see, how can I say this, pure Agent Orange, um, that's not going to kill anybody. And you might go, oh my goodness, oh, it killed all kinds of people. No, 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 no. It got contaminated with dioxin, the stuff that ended up in Vietnam. And so, first of all, the government sprayed it off-label over the top of people, okay? But nobody ever blames the government on spraying something off-label over the top of people. If you or I did that, <laughs> they'd throw us in jail the next day if we went and sprayed something off-label over the top of people. Come on. Second thing is it got contaminated with dioxin. Agent Orange did not have dioxin in it normally, all right? Agent Orange was just... 245T and 24D. Okay, neither one of those is going to kill anybody. All right, next thing. Saying that Roundup is deadly to all species, including humans, well, that's just, that's factually untrue. Um, first of all, Roundup, the active ingredient glyphosate, only works on an enzyme that's found only in plants. You and I don't even have that enzyme. Do you know what the LD50 is for, for glyphosate? It's way higher than it is for, uh, I mean, most substances out there. So you, you could, if you compare it to table salt even, the LD50 is higher, which means it would take more glyphosate to kill you than it would table salt or caffeine or especially like vitamin D. So glyphosate is not toxic. There's no possible chance. It's been tested by every regulatory body in the world, all proven Number one, not toxic to human beings. Number two, doesn't cause cancer in humans. All right. So you can listen to all the talk and people saying what they think and what they feel, but they're wrong if they're going to tell you that there's anything wrong with Roundup. There isn't. Okay. That's just, that, that's the facts. So, but again, I, 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 like in this case, I don't, I don't even blame Craig because there's so much of this propaganda that's out there and we fall into this trap. I was going to tell you this story, too. I was thinking about this during the break. So uh, 
and I, I, I'm not even going to say even, I, I don't want to incriminate this particular person, but let's just put it this way. There's a really super smart person that I know. And about 10 years ago, he told me, um, Brian, I don't even get my news from the news anymore. I get it through Twitter. <laughs> I go, oh my gosh. Okay, that's fine. But that also means that you're not really getting news. You're getting speculation and a lot of, um, let's say, half-truths or mistruths. So it's it's sad what a lot of the information network has now devolved into. I guess the good news is it, it gives people like me a lot more stuff to talk about because we got to talk all the time about things that just, quite frankly, are not true and are super harmful for agriculture when all this information gets out there. Anyway, we can talk the rest of the day about Roundup, but I don't want to do that. Uh, we we got to get back to some of these agronomic questions. This next one comes in from uh, Petey, who says, uh, hey, you mentioned the other day, no new herbicides. How about Storin from Syngenta? He says, I guess this is just kind of a new mix, so it might not count. Uh, yeah, Petey, um, Storin is nothing more than bicyclopyrone that's already been out for many years, uh, mesotrione, which is Callisto, another HPPD, uh, esmetolachlor, dual, and then peroxisulfone. Uh, you can find that in Zidua and other products. So, yeah, it's just a combination of, of older stuff. What we're talking about, what I'm trying to say, is that there aren't any new active ingredients. Well, even beyond active ingredients. New modes of action is really what I want. I want new modes of action so we can kill resistant weeds. Uh, hopefully there will be more in the future, but for now, we just have to do everything we can using the current technologies, the right rates, multiple effective modes of action, and things like that. All right, next question comes from Justin in Kansas. He says, I'm needing to spray uh, the second half of my bean acres post-emerge. Uh, the first half sprayed with Prefix, and by the way, that's Dual and Flexstar. Uh, so Prefix, Ingenia, that's Dicamba, Roundup, and then Clethodim, where needed, uh, the last week of June. So anyway, he says, I'm not sure what stage to call the beans, but they were planted June 8th to the 18th, had trifluralin incorporated before the planter, and they're about 10 inches tall and 15-inch rows. Um, so, uh, Justin, you bring up a great point here. A lot of people don't know how to stage soybeans. They don't know exactly what stage they're at. Um, it's, it, it is really important though, because there are certain things that become off label. So for example, he says he's thinking about spraying some Liberty. Well, and Roundup. Well, Liberty is labeled up to R1, up through R1 in soybeans. That's first flower. R2 is full flower. You can't spray Liberty anymore. You still spray Roundup. But once you see pods, you're at R3 and so reproductive stage three, and you can't spray Roundup anymore either. So in other words, you're, you're going you're gonna to have to get this done fairly quickly here because otherwise you're going to get past the, the label restrictions on Liberty or Roundup. Now, <laughs> this usually leads into the question, uh, of course, when I say, okay, well, it's not going to be labeled anymore. Guys are like, well, would it hurt anything? Look, as an agronomist, I can't tell you to do anything off-label. Is it actually going to hurt anything? Probably not, but I can't tell you to do that, okay? So we just want to try to get things timed earlier. And then his question here is, uh, is there anything better for residual than to spray 16 ounces of metolachlor? Okay, well, first of all, you could could use a little bit more metolachlor or dual, basically, um, and there really isn't a much better option for residual. He says in here uh, he's used prefix before. He's just concerned about it because of the date. Hasn't seen carryover, but uh, the 
keep in mind, the label restriction is 10 months to corn. So I do worry about that uh, and when, what date you want to plant your corn, because this is all the way down in Kansas. So I'm guessing you want to plant sooner than May uh, 14th. <laughs> that would be technically your date you'd have to wait until. Okay, the so next thing is, uh, farm is planted to beans that doesn't have the best fertility and didn't have starter applied. Is there a foliar that could be applied that would return the investment? Or should I go ahead and apply 100 pounds of potash and hope we get some decent rain? Current moisture is okay, but not surplus. And I do have some rain chances this week. All right, so Justin, potash doesn't break down quickly at all. So yeah, if you're in an area that gets 60, 80 inches of rain, you got really light soil, can you throw some potash out early in the season and it'll break down and, and get available for the plant? Sure. But for a lot of us in drier areas, you can't do dry mid-season and expect to get anything out of it or much at all out of it this year. So you're usually ahead to use some kind of liquid. We'll do that a little bit on our farm, but understand this. Soybeans and corn need a ridiculous amount of potassium, a ridiculous amount. So if you're way short, throwing a little bit of foliar potassium out there, oh, it'll probably help and it'll probably pay. But is that going to make up all the, the loss that you have? No. You need a lot of potash out there. So that's the number one yield limiting factor we see in soybeans in the United States today. And in many cases, it's the number one yield limiting factor in corn too. Not enough K. We need high levels. Otherwise, you just don't get enough into the plant, especially when we're going through some dry periods. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one here. This is from uh, Graham. And he says, uh, hi, guys. I'm in South Carolina. Uh, my soils are low cation exchange capacity, mostly four to eight, and most of my ground's rented. Well, currently I am running a strip-till machine, but I broadcast most of my fertilizer and then I plant. I'm interested in going to a system to place most of my P and K in furrow using dry product in early spring or maybe even fall. No one's doing that around here that I know of, and I'm concerned that I may lose the fertility before my crop can use it because of my soils and climate. What do you say? Um... Uh, well, Graham, first of all, I'm very concerned about putting it on with the planter because you have light soils. And if you're saying, I want to put on all my P and K, it sounds like you'd have a high salt load right there. So I would be worried about that. Now, putting it on with the strip till machine, I'm great with. We like putting it on early just because then you have more time for it to break down. But in your case, when you're as hot as you are and you have more moisture than we do, it's not as big a concern. Now, phosphorus, the odds of you losing that are really slim. That locks in pretty well even to a light soil. But potash or potassium, yeah, you could possibly lose some of that. So applying that in the spring or in the early spring would probably be good. But again, if it's me, I'm not going to put all that in with the planter. I might do a little bit. We always do a little bit of low salt liquid. But dry, I don't like because in a dry spring, uh, you could suck moisture away from the seed and have emergence issues. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.